Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months now through December 14th. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have a $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is former NFL quarterback Jason Campbell. Jason, how's it going? Doing great, Paul. How you doing, man? Good, good. Appreciate you coming on. Nah, no problem. You know, can't complain. Hey, we can... You know, these type of days we're living in right now, man, it's always just a great opportunity to be able to, you know, things we take for granted, you know, and hopefully people learning through this experience that, uh, you know, life is no guarantee and things that we think come easy is a guarantee every day and, uh, and it's not. So, uh, you know, we all need to reminisce and, uh, and see what we can learn through this experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think something positive is going to come out of all this. Just like, just this stuff. I mean, I'm sure you're saying it too. Just like people just helping people. Right. So, yeah, hopefully stuff gets better soon. But, yeah, let's get into your uh, football career. How did you get started playing football? Man, I tell you, I got started playing football. I grew up in a small town in Mississippi called Taylorsville. You know, I grew up with it. My dad was a coach. And then I had an older brother, and, you know, everyone was playing football. And back in those days, Paul, we played in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nowadays, you know, these kids, they already have teams at fifth grade and sixth grade. And, uh, of course, we had Pee Wee teams, but my parents would let me play at that time. So I didn't start playing football until I was 13, but I played yard football ever since I was little. And those guys used to hit us. My older brother used to hit us outside. And one time they hit me so hard, I hit a tree, came home with a hurt arm. My dad, like, what's wrong with you? And uh, I said, well, we were playing the call Killer Man. He's like, Killer Man, what's that? I said, everyone gets in a circle, you throw the football up in the air, and whoever catches the ball, everybody else got got, got to try to tackle him before he gets to the end zone. He said, oh. You know, so I just grew up around the game, man. I grew up around sports and uh, and everything. And in my area, my high school team was always used to winning championships. So, when you grow where I grew up at, man, it's not a whole lot of opportunities to do other things, but get involved in sports, and uh, that's how I really got involved. Yeah, and, gr- and growing up, did you play any other sports? Yeah, man, basketball is my favorite sport. I played basketball, baseball, and football. I gave up baseball about my ninth grade year, which was a tough decision. You know, I, I really like that too, but I tried to focus on two sports so I can uh, make sure I graduate on time and. Make sure I was keeping my grades up so I can get my so I can get into any university that I want to get into, and uh, so I just focused on basketball and football and and everything. And I was able to make all American in both, and uh, I got to college and I had to choose. So you know, they tell you you can sign to play both once you sign that, that letter of intent, but once you get there, they they surely made sure I had to make a decision, so I ended up sticking with football. Yeah. Now, do you think playing multiple sports like helped you be better in football? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when I tell kids nowadays, you're too young to get just stuck in one sport. You know, uh, the one thing that can happen when kids are stuck in one sport is they can burn out very quickly and easily. The thing about playing multiple sports uh, growing up is that each sport teaches you something different. 
each sport has a different concept where football teaches you a lot about toughness and, and grind it out where basketball is about explosiveness and uh, quickness and, and everything. And then you think of, you know, just baseball, how you got to react to a ball coming at you at, at fast speed or whatever. But I always say the kids should get involved with more than one sport. It just doesn't matter. You play basketball, you play baseball or football, you don't play anything else. If you run track, that's good for you because it just teaches your skill levels and it helps you with your development as well. And it gives you a break from another sport, but you're not sitting at home doing anything. You're still striving and performing in another, in another sport at that time, which is which is helping improve your skills as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think kids should play multiple sports growing up and then eventually like focus on the one that they like the most or they're the best at. Yeah. What was your recruiting process like coming out of high school? Man, uh, I was uh, one of the ones, man, that was, I was blessed. I had, uh, by the time I was a junior in high school, I was one of the top five quarterbacks in the nation. So, you know, my brother had, was six years old. He's six years older than me. So he, he was playing at Mississippi State at the time. So, and I was going to a lot of SEC games, uh, so I was getting opportunities to see that atmosphere and be around it. And I just remember telling my parents, like, "Hey, I know a lot of schools in Big Ten and you know, and ACC and out west, and everyone is recruiting me as well." I said, "But I think I just want to play in the Southeastern Conference." And I said, "It seems to me like it's the it's the best conference in college football, the atmosphere standpoint, and from a game standpoint, it's so competitive." And I said, just watch my brother play in that league. I said, I just, I think this is the league I want to stay in. So, you know, I ended up taking most of my visits to all my top SEC schools, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, uh, you know, Tennessee. And I really narrowed it down to those four schools. And because uh, I didn't want to get bombarded with a whole bunch of other schools. But there's coaches coming into school every day. And I was to get called into the office and go meet with them. So I ended up narrowing it down and then right I didn't want to make a decision before my senior year. So I kept just taking my visits. Uh, then once my senior year finished, I ended up committing early January, right before uh, signing day. It was in February. So so what was the ultimate decision that you picked Auburn? Uh, I liked Auburn, man, just because it was just this family atmosphere. I went to a couple of other schools. They all had great campuses too, but it was just something about Auburn that was just different. And I remember going to their game. They was playing Alabama's Iron Bowl, and that was my recruiting visit. And uh, I remember they lost that game at home. It was a close game, and the fans were just so respectful. Like, you know, sometimes I go to some of these other schools, and the fans just dogging their players out man, when they had lost the game and everything. And I was like, dang. But then I went to Auburn. They lost to the arch rival, Alabama. And the fans were just kind of, you know, teary-eyed, but at the same time, just, like, respecting the players. And, and, uh, and, you know, everyone has a gripe here and there. But to me, it just seemed like it was more unity and more of a family tradition. And uh, and it just felt like home. Felt like home, away from home. And uh, so and I feel comfortable with the coaching staff. Coach Tuberville was at Ole Miss when they recruited me at first. Uh, then the year before I graduated high school, he went to Auburn. And uh, so I ended up going over to Auburn uh, with them because I wasn't going to Old Miss at the time. And uh, I wasn't going to Mississippi State because my brother played there. I kind of want to create my own identity. And then LSU was high on the list. But uh, at the time, it was a transition between Jared DiNardo and Coach Saban. And Coach Saban came to my house and he was still trying to convince me to 
to stay strong with LSU, but not knowing much about him at the time because he had come from Michigan State because he was way up north. You know, I didn't get a chance to learn him as much at that time. So to me, Auburn just felt more comfortable and more like home. Gotcha. What's your take on like the recruiting process now and like kids committing when they're in like eighth grade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy, man. He's uh Parents, I put it on the parents' ball, man. The reason I say that is because coaches going to come at your kids as long as they're allowed to come at your kids. So when they come at your kids, it's up to the parents to sit these kids down and say, hey, don't get so caught up into all this recruiting process. You're only in the eighth and ninth grade. So people are going to like you. People are going to expect that. But don't get so caught up into it. Till that's all you're focusing on. Because I coached when I first retired from playing pro football. And uh, my first couple of years, I was dealing with sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders. And then I also coached at the high school level. And these kids get so caught up into the recruiting process that they're not even focused on what the team is doing half the time. And to the point where you're trying to win a game on Friday night, but they're so worried about trying to get theirs. And when I say that, it's just like they worry about how many catches they get, how many running yards they get, instead of worrying about like what's best for the team to win the game. So it's put a lot of pressure on these kids because every parent watches the NFL pretty much, Major League Baseball and basketball. They see these contracts go by the bottom of the screen. They see all these millions of dollars being thrown out there. Yes, everybody wants their kid to have the opportunity to reach that type of success. I like it takes a lot of stress off your family financially. But at the same time, though, you could be stressing these kids out at such an early age by putting too much pressure on them that they never get to enjoy the sport and enjoy the game before it becomes a business. Because, you know, once you get to that level, it's a business and, and everything. So a lot of kids to be a kid, and I love the game and don't put that pressure on them to commit. If a coach make you commit and force you to commit between eighth grade and 10th grade, then shame on him. You know what I'm saying? Because you shouldn't be having to try to commit that early. Like if it's for you, it's going to be there when it's time to be there. If it's not, then something else is for you. So I always tell the kid, don't put pressure on yourself. Did someone come on you? Cool. All right. Cool. Engage in conversation, but don't, put pressure on yourself to make yourself feel like you got to commit because you're a totally different kid from 8th grade to 12th grade. You'll be totally the opposite kid. You can have totally different interests. You don't know. So don't make these decisions so early. But I put that on the parents to help these kids out because they don't know that. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, I love social media, but especially there's obviously negatives to it. And I think that hypes them up and gives them too much of a big head sometimes when they like blow up on social media. And then, yeah, like you're like you said, they're not paying attention to like, helping the team win the game. Yeah, like that's social media. That's all they care about when it comes yeah. to like, they'll put it on there and say, hey, such and such is recruiting me. And you just like, it, like you said, the kid, hey, it could be, cause you're an eighth grader. So now you feel like you all that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you all that. Like you a big man on campus as an eighth grader. I'm just like, dude, you better chill out. I break your ego. So, yeah. you know, that's how we used to try to do it when I was coaching. I was just like, you put them through some stuff. But, um, but, you know, like I said, they're only as strong as their parents, man. So they got to help them out. Yeah. Tell me what, like, what was the media like you coming out of high school? It was just like probably like newspaper articles and stuff like that. Yeah. It was newspaper articles uh, at that time. You still had the ESPN uh, and everything, top yeah. 300. I remember ESPN came to my high school my senior year and did a story on me. 
And I remember the whole school was going crazy and everything. And that was a fun experience. It also felt like the pressure that you had that Friday night, you had to go out and, and try to light it up. We was playing against one of our biggest rivalries at night as well. So, uh, you know, it was a fun experience. It was great. And uh, like I said, I still have some, most of my uh, write-ups and everything, different articles and everything, but uh, it wasn't nothing like now, like Mm -hmm. today where these kids is social media and everybody know who you are. You know, as soon as you walk in the building, I I just coached high school kids and kids come up to me and say, coach, that kid there is ranked this, that kid there is ranked that. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's just like, what, what are y'all talking about? It's about, coach, he's ranked, man. He's ranked. I'm like, dude, y'all in the eighth grade. He's like, he's ranked. <laughs> and uh, I just be like, with these kids so hung up on rankings now that they're already defeated sometimes before they even touch the field because of rankings. And that's why I say that's the danger of ranking these kids so young and, and mm-hmm. everything. And they get so caught up into five-star, four-star, three-star, two-star, you know, and that if a kid feel like he's better than a four-star, better than a, a two-star, and uh, somebody ranks him as a two-star, it almost depresses them. You know what I'm saying? It takes their confidence away. Mm-hmm. Then some kids take the other approach. They're like, okay, I got to work a little bit harder, a lot harder, because I know I'm better than this. So it's all about the how you approach it and everything, but not every kid is strong-minded like that. And everything, and I always say, not every five star to go to college makes it through college. I know many five stars that got to college in the last two years and gave up the sport. And kids that come in as a two star or come in as a, a walk on end up having a great career and making it to the next level. So I tell them, it's all about your heart, man, your dedication, man. Don't get so caught up in rankings and stars. I say, but when I was coming out, you know, like they had us. You know, who's top five this and top five that? Uh, who was top recruits, big recruits? They call them blue chip recruits and stuff like that. It wasn't that they put stars on you. They said blue chips, I guess, which now they would be like a five star. But, you know, it's just that uh, I just so have for my dad. And my dad helped me through all of that. And like, he always kept me level headed and grounded and everything. But like I said, it's because of who was in my circle. And I say, if no one's in these kids' circles, you know, especially like some of them that don't have those father figures around, I sometimes found myself like a father figure to some of these kids when I was coaching because mm-hmm. they didn't have that. So I felt like part of my purpose is being involved with these kids somehow because not a lot of kids grow up with the same figures that, that I grew up with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and going into Auburn, um, I know you had a great career there. I also read that you had a different offensive coordinator every year. So what, what, what was that like? And like, how did you manage to do that? Yeah, man, I had a coordinator every year in the college. Uh, you know, sometimes it becomes frustrating because you always want to get to that next level uh, within an offense. And you feel like every time you take a step forward, you have to take two steps back. And uh, But I always told myself, Jay, no excuses, man. Just grind it out. Every challenge is in front of you for a reason. So try to take what you learned from the offense from before and try to find similarities in the offense that you're learning at that point. And uh, in 10 years, I had like six different offense coordinators. And when you hear guys make excuses all the time, I'm like, well, you know, this guy's been in this offense for 10 years, and now he had to relearn offense. I say it's funny how they take up for some, but then for others, they throw on the bus. We have to learn our offense every year. But my goodness, let me cry for the one that has to learn a different offense for the first time in 10 years. 
you know, just like uh, it's tough because at the same time, when you're a black quarterback, an African-American quarterback, there's already pressures on you because you already feel that magnitude of I got to be twice as good at whatever I do. And then on top of that, you're presented with a challenge to learn a new offense every year. So I used to always try to persevere, keep pushing forward, pushing forward, and uh, understanding that, Jay, you're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing this for your family. You're doing this for the kids back at home, your community that's looking up to you and seeing how far can you go because it gives them hope. So no matter what the challenge is, man, just learn it, accept it, and keep moving forward. So, you know, it was frustrating at the time, but at the same time, uh, I wouldn't let it get to me or or make excuses or whatever. I just try to make the most of it and, and keep going. Yeah, so I got to talk about your senior year. You guys went undefeated and didn't get picked for the national championship. So, what, what was your feeling then, and then what's your feeling now with the new system with uh, fourteen or the playoffs? I thought it was crushing. Uh, you know, we played in the hardest, you know, division, you know, in the SEC. Um, and at the same time, out of the three of us that year, USC, Oklahoma, and Auburn, we had the toughest schedule of three and everything. And so, you know, rightfully so we should have been in a national championship game. And the thing about it, we was loaded that year. And that uh, we was hitting on all cylinders. And we was, this is one of those years you feel like you couldn't be defeated. That's how close our team was. And we fought for each other. Uh, but the thing, I think the great thing that came out of it was, we was the reason in all the playoff talk started. And uh, because everyone was like, how a team in the SEC of this magnitude get left by a national championship game, that just shouldn't ever happen. So that started the conversation of how can we make this right so that it doesn't ever happen again and um, and everything. So it took them a few years to go through it. And then next thing you know, the playoff system started. And so I would like to thank our team as it will be known as the team that was a team that sparked the uh, playoff talk because after we didn't get to play in the national championship game that year, the SEC went on to win seven national championships in a row and everything. So, you know, so hopefully that opened up doors where other teams wouldn't get left out because there's teams after us that wasn't even undefeated. They got to play the national championship game, you know, even within the next five years and, uh, and everything. So I like to think that, you know, our team had a big part in changing history. So not all was lost. Uh, we still got national championship rings or whatever, but it have been awesome playing the game. But at the same time, it doesn't take away from our season. We still had a great season, awesome season. And, uh, and rightfully so deserving to be national champs. But uh, we opened the doors up for the 2010 team and teams that came after that. Yeah, what was it like playing in that offense? I know you had a lot of weapons for you. Oh, man, you're talking about fun. You know, you talking about Cadillac and Ronnie. You know, both played in the National Football League. All three of us was, you know, first-round draft picks and uh, came in together in college and left out together and, uh, you know, just all those close and, you know, still friends and buddies nowadays and, and everything with running with Cadillac being back down there on campus as a running backs coach and then running myself, doing a lot of radio work for the Auburn Sports Network and the football department. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it means a lot. But uh, to play with those guys, man, it was outstanding. And then the receivers that we had, that, you know, four of our receivers played in the NFL, uh, Courtney Taylor and being on Mondo and Devin Aroma should do and Anthony Mitz. You know, all four of those guys played at the next level. And three of my offensive linemen played to the next level. So, you know, it was just a, a great experience, man. And uh, a team that I won't ever forget. I always remember we'd be seven and sitting on the porch still talking about it. 
uh, just because you know that's how close we were, and I still call them now and, and joke on them and rag on them about something. But it's one of those teams, man. There was no selfishness, totally unselfish football team. Nobody complained about who was touching the ball, who was getting the ball. It was all about whatever the defense weakness was that week. That's what we were going to attack. Yeah, that's awesome. And what what did it, off the field? What did it mean to you to graduate and get your degree? Yeah, I mean a lot. Uh, I had already told my mom I wanted to graduate college, and to do it before my senior year of football was even better. Uh, Ronnie and myself, we ended up graduating in August, and uh, one of my other buddies, Dunn Young, so we all graduated in August before football season started in 04. So during my senior year, I was able to intern with the mayor and work at the Chamber of Commerce. So I got a chance to learn ins and outs about how things work in the city and how things, and they just don't pop up to the city, like what they got to go through in order to get restaurants up or in order to, you know, people come in town, how they stop by the chamber and ask, like, you know, what's the most popular things in town or how you get to this, how you get to that. So I learned a lot of what goes on within the city about working on the board and everything. And, uh, and so to graduate and not have that pressure trying to finish school and everything while I'm trying to finish my senior year of football was uh, was awesome. So going to summer school over those years paid off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. You didn't have to worry about school during football season. <laughs> right, yeah. So it was almost like you was playing in the league your yeah. senior year before you was actually in the league. So, uh, you know, of course, you had to take like just a couple of classes, yeah. but it wasn't nothing like because all my real classes are already done graduated. So it's yeah. more internship for me. And what was your pre-draft process like? Uh, pre-draft was cool. You know, I went to the senior bowl. Uh, you know, I had a great senior bowl week. Uh, I ended up being offensive player of the game for the South squad and uh, and everything. And then, you know, from senior bowls, preparing for the combine and uh, preparing for pro day. Pro day is probably one of the most funnest days because we had so many people at our pro day that it was circled around the football field. And uh, and it was a joy because that's the most people have ever come watch an Auburn Pro Day. And then there was teens, kids from other schools wanting to participate in our Pro Day. And I remember our screen coach was like, no. He was like, y'all didn't earn all this attention for people to be coming out here. He was like, you know, this is for the guys that bust their tails, sweated, and did everything they had to do here to create this. So, you know, we're not trying to take away from them and everything. So it was guys that played at Auburn. If you played at Auburn and went somewhere else and coach was cool with you, he would let you come and participate on, on that pro day. And uh, so we ended up having a great pro day, man. A lot of people came out. Saw a lot of coaches. My family was able to be there. So uh, it was fun times, man. Fun memories. I always tell these guys, man, enjoy the moment, man, because this ain't going to always last. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, even when I was playing in the NFL, even the dog days, like, just enjoy the moment because when it's over, it's over. And then it's on to something else. But, you know, make the most of it. Like, don't try to take the easy way out. Don't try to get away from it and get around the grind. Like, it's a grind. and uh, But it will pay off for you. But at the same time, enjoy the process, man. Don't be in such a rush to go through the process. Don't be in such a rush to, I can't wait to get through this so I can get to that. Like, I can tell any of them, man, enjoy it every opportunity of it. Enjoy the training. Enjoy the conversations. Enjoy the getting to know people. Like, don't be too big to, to not get to know folks. You know, get to know people because when you're done playing, not everyone going to care that you wore a jersey. But a lot of folks that you met will remember you because how you were when you met them. So don't be a butthole to people, you know, just because you feel like you can. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then during draft day, was there like a few teams that you thought you were going to get drafted by? And like, did you know the Redskins were going to pick you? Yeah, I had a feeling the Redskins were going to pick me. They uh, have came down earlier that week and everything. And um, and the coach had told me, Coach Gills told me, he said, hey, if you still there, you know, when our pick comes, you know, we're definitely taking you and uh, and everything. So that year they had two draft picks, and I knew they needed a corner. I knew they wanted a younger quarterback. But I knew corner was top priority because Mark Burnell was still there as a quarterback. He was getting older. So they went with Carlos with the first one, and then they went and got me with the second pick in the first round they had. So they had two picks in the first round and everything. So, you know, that was pretty cool, getting drafted with a teammate and both in the same round and everything. So, um, you know, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, what was it like to just hear your name getting drafted? Oh, man, it was uh, a unique experience. I was in Auburn, um, had a lot of family and friends in town. So I actually left and went upstairs when I know Redskins was about to pick me. And nobody could find me and everything. I already knew it. I just wanted to, you know, hear their reaction. So when they, so when they picked me, you know, of course I heard everybody go crazy downstairs and everything. And, and it was hollering. Everybody like, Jay, where you at? Where you at? So then I came back downstairs and then uh, my mom and dad was crying. And my offense coordinator was there and everyone was crying and everything. And, so I was more excited and happy when I saw the smiles on their faces than uh, than just for myself because the fact that I could make good on the promise that I promised my mom and dad I was going to buy my home one day, a new home and everything, that I was good. I was able to make good on that promise. Yeah, and I know they uh, had you like sit out the first season. So it was basically like mm-hmm. a redshirt year. So what, what was that guy right. like? That was tough. That was tough for me. Uh, you know, coming off a senior year that I had and, you know, watching my friends Cadillac, you know, get rookie of the year and watch Ronnie uh, playing that year and Carlos playing. And, you know, and I'm just like, dude, all my boys are playing. <laughs> and I'm like, got to sit over here and, you know, and hold this clipboard. I was just like, it's something that I wasn't used to, you know, something I haven't ever had to do. And uh, like you said, besides being a red shirt. So, you know, I feel like, man, it's taken away from some of my game because when you're hot and you're feeling it, you mm-hmm. want to continue. Yeah. And so to have to be shelled for a whole year, you know, it was tough. But at the same time, you know, I got to learn a lot. I got to learn the game. I got a chance to learn a lot about, you know, players and the dynamics of preparing as an NFL quarterback and uh, and things like that. So, you know, I just... Uh, I learned a lot from Mark and Mark Burnell that year and, and everything, but at the same time, it was tough to have to sit and watch um, when you when you first, especially when you come out of college and, and you're a high draft pick. Yeah, and then what, what was it like to finally take the field in your first game? Well, it was weird because I went from running a practice squad team to all of a sudden they calling me in the office nine games until the season. I was second year, and I mean seven or seven, and I get into the season. I'm second year, saying, "Hey, it's your time." And you're like, "What? Like, I didn't even run it out plays." <laughs> and they said, "And you're going against Derrick Brooks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Ronda Barber and all those guys at the defense that they had." So my first start in the NFL going to be in Tampa Bay against the Bucks defense. I said, "Are you kidding me?" And uh, they had just went to the playoffs the year before. So they were stacked. 
And I was just like, okay. So <laughs> I was nervous because I had to run a press club. But at the same time, I was excited. So I was like, okay, you know, let's let's do it. So I went down there. My first pass was a 50-yard go ball. And I remember it was a perfect ball. and hit Brandon Lord right in the hands. And had he caught it, he probably would have scored. And he, and he dropped it. And he came to Sally like, man, I'm so sorry. I dropped your first pass, man. And it would have been a 50-yard bomb and everything. And I would look at him like, dang, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted that one, bro. But uh, but I ended up having a really good game again. Two touchdowns, no turnovers. And uh, we lost a close one at the end. But uh, it was a good game, though. And um... – what was your overall experience with the Redskins? Oh, man, I would say crazy. <laughs> uh, crazy, man. Uh, a lot of chaos. You know, I had a great time with teammates, though. And, you know, I, I love living in that D.C. area. But as far as uh, on the field stuff, it's just so much chaos, man. So many coaches changes, so much stuff that people don't know about that would go on behind closed doors and, and that I had to play through where no one want any player to have to go through what I went through and stuff that I had to see and hear and do. But, uh, you know, it was another one of those moments where you grind it out. Like I said, I was grateful for being able to play in the league. But at the same time, I wish it could have been a better experience with, with you know, someone more appreciative and everything and uh, of your hard work and your dedication and everything. And But at the same time, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade any of it for nothing. You know, uh, you go through it for a reason, but at the same time, you realize you don't get one shot at the NFL. And the fact that, you know, you still was able to have a good career through all the chaos where a lot of people would have folded or not even made it, you know, uh, you're still able to stand tall at the end of it and, uh, and, and walk away from the game of your own terms. I still had another year or two to play on my contract. Mm-hmm. Well, contract offers, but I walked away from the game after 10 years uh, just because I was tired of it and, and I was ready to do something else in life. It, well, so when you got traded to the Raiders, was that refreshing you for a fresh start? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was hard at the same time because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like what Washington put me through and then for my numbers to keep going up, you know, I thought I deserved a new contract there and uh, a new, you know, a new regime and a new you know, a different culture, but as you realize, sometimes things just don't change. <laughs> so when I went to Oakland, it was definitely a fresh start. I was hope I was glad I became a Raider because Raider fans, man, they are dynamic. And so I got that experience to live in California for a few years and, and, and get a chance to play for them and have training camp in Napa Valley. Like, dude, you have a training camp in Napa Valley. So <laughs> you get a chance to go to wine tastings and all these different things uh, while you're there for those three weeks and uh, and everything. So it gave me another enjoyment of life. So I enjoyed Napa Valley, man. I enjoyed being a Raider. And I was winning there. I was having a really good career. And fortunately, I broke my collarbone and everything changed after that. And, you know, it was my contract year. So, you know, it kind of sucked a little bit, but at the same time, uh, you know, I don't let it take away from the experience. Like, you know, you control what you can control, what you can't, you, you move on. And then you went to the Bears for a year, and then you went to the Browns. So you got to, you got to, you got to tell me about the Browns because, like, I feel like <laughs> they always get hyped up, and then or it just yeah, the Browns is uh, a totally different organization. I say this though, Browns fans are some of the greatest fans, though, man. They are die hard. And I can see why chaos and stuff happens there, man. Like, 
when I got there, they said I was going to compete for the starting job where I signed there. And I really didn't get a chance to compete for it and, and everything. But at the same time, you know, I was trying to help the younger guys out and everything. And then when my time did come, they waited to the hardest part of the schedule. And then they started me. And then I was having some really good game, man. We lost to New England up by, what, 12 points with like two minutes to go in the game. And we lose. And just stuff like that would happen. Like we in Kansas City and, you know, we're on the road and we're winning and got an opportunity to close the game out and something chaotic happened and we lose. And it's just games where we right there to win the games and just something crazy will always happen. But we would end up having a good year on film even though the record ain't short, and we just like, man, if everybody comes back next year, we're going to be a tough team. And that was the case. But at the end of the year, they broke everything up that year and got rid of people and everything. And uh, and I was just like, wow. I was like, this is the Browns. This is why this stuff keeps happening, because they don't let nothing build. They're always changing. If the first year don't go off and hit the playoffs, let's get rid of the whole regime and start over again. It doesn't work that way. And that's why losing teams continue to be losing teams. The teams that win has a winning mindset because there's a formula. There's no formula just doing it the way that they do it. Gotcha. And, yeah, I know you had a, you played for the Bengals for one year and then you decided to retire. I know you just touched on a little bit. What made you retire and not want to go to another team? Yeah, I had offers, man. Uh, Baltimore Ravens came at me really hard uh, to come back up Flacco at the time and then uh you know Cincinnati was trying to get me to come back there and I was just at a point man I think a lot of frustration just added up because mm-hmm. when I was in Oakland when I got hurt all my numbers I was top 10 in the league in a lot of categories and I was having a great year and it's my contract year where any other quarterback has ever played the game you don't lose your job to injury and you don't lose your contract especially when you're having a great season mm-hmm. and that a pro bowl type season and for me to come back and then they take my contract and give it to another quarterback and then not get renewed and then another team not pick you up as a starter because all the jobs are taken. It's not where it is like nowadays where so many jobs for quarterbacks that's open for starting positions. I fell in the slot in that year where there wasn't a lot of open starting job, but my job was the Raiders quarterback position. I had earned it. I'd done all the things I was supposed to do to keep it. And, uh, and for them to give my contract up to somebody else, man, that took a lot out of me. And it hurt me and it crushed me and everything. And I just think from that point on, I was never able to really get a real starting opportunity and everything. I think it just weighed on me and just, you know, it got me to a point where I just started not to like football no more because the business side just got too ugly. And it took the it took the heart out of it for me. And I was just, I was just ready to just walk away from the game and do something else because, I feel like I poured my heart and hard work into it. And you see guys that doesn't work as hard and they just give them stuff, give them, give them contracts, give them money. And the guys that bust their tail and work extremely hard and put a lot into it, it almost like they treat you as, as if you're someone that they just against just because you're trying to do the right thing. And you almost feel punished in a way. So, you know, it was, it felt unfair, but at the same time, uh, you know, I appreciate the years and opportunity, but it was time to move on because what they were trying to offer me wasn't worth, I thought, the hits that I would be taking. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they had already taken a lot from me from what I did get to the game. Now, after like maybe like a few years went by, did you have an itch to ever play again or no? Uh, you know, you always had a competitive drive. Uh, you know, after a few years go by, you'd be like, man, you know, maybe I could uh, 
and go back out there and play. But then by that time, all the injuries started to really set in. You know, my knee got really bad. I ended up having to have knee surgery. Uh, you know, there are days you wake up and you're just super sore and, uh, and everything, and you're just like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I just, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> what, what advice would you give to a young athlete or a young football player? Uh, I just tell a young athlete, man, uh, if you're in college, don't focus so much on the NFL aspect. Just focus on the now. You know, do hard work hard as you can while you're there in college to be the best college players you can be. And you know, to help your help your team and to succeed. And then when that time comes, man, hire your team succeed. You gonna succeed. So don't worry about all the other stuff. It's gonna come. If you're a guy that's in the pros, I tell every athlete, man, save your money. Like you don't need to spend as much money as you do when you're playing football because you're occupied. You're always training. You're always playing in games. You're always traveling here with the team. So you're preoccupied most of the time. You spend most of your money is when you retire from football because that's when you have your families. That's when, you know, you're getting pulled. You get a chance to enjoy what you've made, you know, your fruits and everything. And But if you don't save your money and you just out spending, spending, spending crazy, and then when you're done, you have nothing to show for it, it can become disappointing because you have to think, man, like, Lord's willing, your life has a long opportunity in front of it more than it did behind you. So you have to prepare for that. So I always tell guys, man, find a way to save your money, man. Like, live off 20%, 30% of your money and put the other 70% in the bank, you know, every year that you have a salary so that that way you can enjoy your life even more so when you're done than having to struggle after you had an opportunity to be blessed with so much. Yeah, and what, what else have you been doing uh, post-career? Uh, that's all I've been doing, man. Just coaching high school kids, uh, coaching youth kids, and um, doing the radio stuff. I do radio for Auburn. I also do my own podcast show uh, on Believe uh, Podcast, B-L-E-A-V uh, Podcast, and you type in Auburn. And it's uh, all things of Auburn with Taylor Taylor Davis. So I do that show uh, with her and everything as my co-host. And uh, so I've been doing that, man, just having a good time and and, and enjoying life and just uh, taking everything, everything one day at a time. I just uh, finding a way to give back to the younger generation and everything, trying to pour into them. And then at the same time, you know, I have my own nephews and stuff that's in the game now, that's in sports. And so I try to help my brother out. Or training them and working them out and getting them prepared and everything as well. For sure. What do you think about uh, all this QB mix up right now? It's getting everyone getting new quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, everybody getting new quarterbacks, man. Right? It's almost like it's the new hottest toy. You know, everyone wants a new toy sometimes when things are chaotic, like what's going on right now. Uh, you know, everyone wants that, that brand new car. And you know, something that'll feel the ego short term, but is it right for long term? So, Yes, you know, you see a lot of quarterbacks bouncing around. You see a lot of quarterbacks that, you know, may not get an opportunity to be a starter again. And, you know, they're still young and everything. But uh, that's the nature of the game, man. The quarterback position is the hardest position in all professional sports because a lot of everything is predicated on how things go around you. It's not so per se what you do all the time, but how things go on around you. Because a lot of times the quarterback position is the biggest escape goat in all the sports too. 
You know, it's a scapegoat that sometimes coaches use when they know that they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Sometimes it's a scapegoat for other players around you when they're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's easy to point the finger at the guy that gets all the attention when you win. And it's a quarterback. You have to be ready to accept a lot of a lot of attention when you lose as well. So, you know, it's a tough position. And I say you got to be different as a person to play that position, especially in the National Football League. Are right, you ready for some fun questions? They're gonna go from average to average. Uh, yeah. uh, what's your what's your favorite song right now? Oh man, uh, favorite song. Gee, that's a, that's a good one, man. I'm a. I don't even have one right now. That's how bad I ain't even been listening to radio that much, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of one right now. All right. Uh, what about what was your first big purchase? First big purchase was uh, bought my parents a house. Did you did you surprise them? Like, did they know? No, you- I wanted I, I wanted to surprise them, but I couldn't because I had to get out the training camp. So I had to have them to go around with the realtor lady and look at houses. Looking back at it, I kind of wish I'd have just waited till the season was over with, and then went back and got the house, and then just took them for a ride and say, "Here are the keys to your house." Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, cool. So I- that, that's so cool. Obviously. Um, who's your top five favorite quarterbacks? Ooh, top five. I'd probably say I like Brady. Look how Brady, he's always been cool. Even he's a mega star. He always came over, spoke to me before games. Peyton Manning, you know, he's another guy that's always a stand-up guy. Uh, Brett Favre, you know, he's from my era uh, down in, in Mississippi. Uh, Randall Cunningham, you know, I always like around the tall, lanky guy could throw it, everything. Warren Moon, you know, is another guy I used to like and uh, enjoy watching him play as well. And then, you know, it's just tough for me because, you know, I was a big fan of Steve there, a big fan of Michael Vick and mm-hmm. and uh, Doug Williams, you know, guys that I looked up to because, you know, it was the same, it was all black quarterbacks, but those guys was really, I set the standard for guys like myself and, uh, and I got a chance to meet a lot of great black quarterbacks, man, that people don't even know a lot about, like Shaq Harris, you know what I'm saying, played at Grambling and played in the NFL. You know, Willie Totten, who threw the ball to Jerry Rice in college, you know, at Mississippi Valley State, where if it was nowadays, he definitely would have been playing in the league. So, you know, it's not just per se those guys that nowadays, but, man, people forget about the guys that came before us. And if it wasn't for them, man, like, it wouldn't have been an opportunity for me. Just like if it wasn't for the Vicks and myself and Vince Youngs of the world, it wouldn't have been an opportunity for the Cams and, you know, the Winstons and, you know, and guys like that. So we're all paying it forward. Yeah, do you think um, the black quarterback is, like, on the rise? Or do you think, like, since you've, started like you think there's more now or no i think it's becoming more now i think they're really starting to believe in us now where they don't change us man like when i was there i could run and throw but they would sometimes try to change me you know what i'm saying like make me like change my throwing motion and when you look at someone like Philip rivers they never mess with his throwing motion but for whatever reason they would always try to change your throwing motion or try to you know, make you do this different or not want you to run as much. Where now they emphasize on you running more. They emphasize, like Vic was the only one that kind of like do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where now they let you do that more often. And, and they even put it in within the game plan. 
And now these offenses that they're running, it fits better because you have a dynamic athlete back there playing quarterback. So you put a counter pressure on defense. And then, uh, and then, like a guy like Lamar Jackson, whose throwing ability has gotten a lot better, and he can beat you with the four three speed. Like it's hard for defenses to prepare for that. And the only thing I would say for him is he's just got to learn how to protect himself. He's done a good job. You know, he knows how to dodge a lot of hits because he's so quick and everything. Where you know Deshaun takes a lot of hits. You know, that's the only thing worrying with Deshaun is. He gets pounded a lot, man, and, uh, you know, they got to get some guys in front of him, but he also got to protect himself a little bit better when he's outside the pocket. Do any of these, like, quarterbacks reach out to you ever? Uh, you know, I talked to Jalen Hurts, you know, a, a little bit, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, you know, I communicate a little bit. And, you know, some of these guys, I see them in person sometimes. They speak and everything. But, you know, man, like, nowadays it's almost like when you're not playing, you're out the way. And these young kids got so many people coming at them and and everything. And, you know, and it's almost like if you're not the mega star or whatever, you don't really get the attention or whatever. They don't understand, like, stuff that a lot of us went through. There's a reason they're getting these opportunities and uh, and everything. But, you know, I say I support them all from afar. You know, like I say, I always see them. I speak to them. But uh, social media makes these kids, man, feel like they're so big nowadays that they don't need anyone else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what, what was your favorite stadium to play in? Uh, favorite stadium to play in was, uh, I would say, Kansas City. And the reason I say that is because they do the Tomahawk. It's just a live atmosphere, man. It feels like you're playing in a college atmosphere when you go there. And uh, and, and I think that what makes it unique. And who who would you want to do a jersey exchange with that you didn't do? Uh, I wish I did a Jersey's change with. I wish I had done one with with Mike Vick, man. Just because, uh, you know, Vick was that guy that played on Matt. You played with it on Madden when you was in college, <laughs> yeah. you know, and everything. And I remember when I when I played against him in Washington, and he was playing for the Falcons, and I was starting for the Redskins. I was like, man, how come I did not get this dude? Jersey, and how come I didn't get like Donovan McNabb's jersey and and other guys? But you know what? I'm gonna find a way to see if I still can get their jerseys. Um, the jersey swap thing wasn't a huge thing back then. Yeah. Where now, now it's a huge thing, and I wish I'd have done that. Yeah, I think. It, yeah, I think it's cool that uh, NFL like adopted that from soccer, basically. Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah. and last one, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, free time, man. I like to go golfing. I like golf and uh, and just kind of spend time with my dad and family and pet parents or whatever. But golf is a hobby I kind of developed. I had to have these surgeries and I got to wear a brace when I golf. So, and it may help my golf swing because I'm not able to try to kill the ball. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, I would probably say it's my main hobby. That and uh, being a foodie. I like eating different foods. Okay. What's your, what's your favorite food? Man, I'm a seafood guy, um, but at the same time, I try everything. I know people look at my Instagram, jcampbell17. They probably say, man, this dude loves desserts. I don't eat desserts <laughs> a whole lot, man, but when I do go somewhere and I see a good dessert on the menu, I'm going to try it. I'm not going to eat the whole thing, but I'm going to try it, though. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, can you let the listeners know where they could uh, follow you at? Yeah, man, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, capital J-C-A-M underscore one seven. And then on Instagram, you can follow me at jcampbell17. 
on Instagram. And, uh, you know, like I said, I look forward to y'all following me and, uh, you know, post some comments if you want to and, uh, you know, and everything. But, you know, hey, we're all trying to go to the same place. So let's all move forward. Again, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate it, Paul. No problem. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 